You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. In this series from Ecclesiastes, we'll learn to see life as fundamentally a gift to receive and enjoy, not a hill to climb or a gain to achieve. This path of wisdom teaches us to live in the uncertainty and tensions of life under the sun. This Tuesday, June 1st, is Pastor Jonah's 11th year on Sojourn staff, so let's give him a round of applause. Before becoming our lead pastor, Jonah served as Connect Director at Sojourn Midtown and was a research assistant to Sojourn's pastors. He's excelled at everything he's done, and he has been a godly example and friend to many of us. So let's give him one more round of applause. And now hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 12 through 18. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king, I thought? Wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up, in the, end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless, for the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, that was a very kind surprise. Thank you, Deacon Blair. Uh, I don't know why we celebrate the 11-year anniversary, but I'll take it. I'll take it, Sam. Uh, I appreciate it. It's been quite a privilege being here all this time. Um, My name, I guess, obviously at this point is Jonah, and I am one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Boy, I like Ecclesiastes. I don't know how y'all felt last week being told that time is running short and it doesn't really matter, but that's the kind of medicine I needed. Um, And it got me thinking, how do you guys feel about all all of the exceptions? That's what happens when you come late right there. You see that? Doors. Oh, she's going to save him. She's going to save him. <laughs> oh, that's awkward. Sorry, I just made a joke. Welcome. Hey, sorry. I just made a joke about the door being locked so now everyone sees you. Sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's never happened. 11 years. I've never done something like that. So sorry. I was just being silly. I'm just happy you're here. Um, how do you feel about the exceptions in the life? In life? Uh, we are a rule following people. We prefer the rules. Rules make us feel safe, and all of the exceptions make us uncomfortable. Um, I remember, uh, anybody here taking Hebrew before? It's fine if you're not. I hope you haven't. Gee, many Christmas, you guys. Uh, taking Hebrew, for me, was I sat in a cold, dark room at Southern Seminary and had a man yell at me for a year and basically said, repeat this over and over and over again. Uh, literally, that was Hebrew. There was no instruction. There was no explanation. It was copy this over and over and over. I have journals at home of Hebrew, just like 
over all of the rules, all of the rules over and over. A year of this, you guys. It's the hardest cognitive thing I've ever done, year one of Hebrew. Year two of Hebrew, show up and it's like, okay, let's go. Let's go again. First day of class, he says, all of those rules no longer apply. All of that no longer applies. I literally cried. Um, not like heavy crying because we were in seminary and trying to be impressive, but that like single tear roll down your cheek, lip quivering, crying. Um, maybe you never took Hebrew. Thanks be to God. If you haven't, only take it if you have to. Uh, but most of us probably went through some version of English class. See if you remember this rule. Um, say it with me if you can. I before E, except after C, right? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, no problem. I before E, except after C. That's a spelling thing, uh, no problem. Next year, you got a supplement. Remember the supplement that came after that? I before E, except sometimes Y. You remember that? Uh, initially, you know, maybe you're like, which times and why? Why, why? What's special about, well, whatever, one rule. I before E, except after C, and sometimes Y. Okay, no, no problem. Um, the next year got a little more compli com complicated. Uh, I before E, except after C, and sometimes Y, and in words that sound like A, but aren't spelled with A, like neighbor and way. <laughs> you guys, y'all been there, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. We have this. And maybe this all just seems normal to us. Um, and uh, you find a foreign person or someone who doesn't speak English natively, and you'll see what a mess our language is. Um, try to explain to a child why the word dumb is spelled with a B at the end or numb is spelled with a B at the end. The whole concept of a silent letter, what's it even there for? Pterodactyl, maybe your kid's into dinosaurs. The exceptions are difficult. They frustrate us and they're difficult. Um, and the spelling ones are kind of funny, but they get much more difficult as we get older and we see the kinds of exceptions that we have to deal with in life. Uh, for a long time, I drove a car that was by no measurable standard safe. Um, it didn't have anti-lock brakes. It didn't have airbags. Uh, uh, you know, it was basically a thin sheet of steel between me and everybody else on the road. I never had any problem. I was totally fine. Never had any problem. Never had any close calls. Never had any flashes of like, ooh, this is unsafe. A uh, friend of mine bought a brand new Toyota with all of the safety packages, dies in a car wreck. Two years ago last week, he died in a car wreck in his brand new, top-of-the-line, safest vehicle, Toyota. Uh, I have a front porch now, and so I sit out in front and watch what's going on around here. Silver and Eakin is a crazy intersection. It's a, a popular spot for motorcycles to race. I don't totally understand why. Uh, there's one motorcycle in particular that has speakers. It's like a Honda Goldwing, if you know what that is. That is so loud, it makes the windows of my house shake. And he just goes around, you'd like this, listening to classic rock, flying without his helmet on, just up and down Silver Street, reckless and unsafe. But I've been here for eight years and in this neighborhood, and he, he's still doing it. Um, a high school friend of mine two weeks ago died in a car wreck, died in a motorcycle wreck. Uh, full armor, helmet, car pulls out in front of him, and now his daughters grow up without a father. Two young daughters. These exceptions are difficult. When we press into what really happens in life, you do the safe thing, the wise thing, the right thing, and it doesn't go well for you. Why? The exceptions are difficult. The preacher of Ecclesiastes, listen to what he says here in chapter 2. I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. 
for who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. So you love the, I love the confidence here. Who better than me to figure this out? He's kind of coming from the top of the ladder. He's at the highest place in the world, so to speak. I've done more, made more, earned more, had more. I've All of the things we can think of to do, I've done it more. So who better than me to figure this out? And what's his conclusion? Light is better than darkness, which is usually an easy amen. It's harder to trip in a room with the lights on than it is a room with the lights off. Seems like a simple answer. But then he notices something in verse 15. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. Safe car or dangerous car? Motorcycle with a helmet, motorcycle without a helmet. They'll both die one way or another. It's likely that a wise person may delay their death longer than the foolish person will, but they cannot avoid it. The one rule in life that we found no exceptions to is that we will die. And as if that reflection isn't enough, the preacher pushes the sting one step further. So right after saying that both foolish and wise will die, he says the wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. My friend that died two years ago was one of the kindest, generous, most alive humans that I have ever known. He preached his last sermon from this pulpit. Um, And I'm guessing most of you don't remember his name. Maybe some of you do. It's okay if you don't. That's not meant to make you feel bad. Uh, In 50 years, maybe a handful of people will remember his name. Um, mostly people who have the same last name as him. In a hundred years, there's probably no one on the face of the earth who will remember his name. I think in some ways all of us feel this, but we're so terrified to speak it. We, We write platitudes on coffee cups like life is short. And then we live functionally as if the sand will never run out. Maybe some of you uttered a silent amen when you heard the preacher offer his conclusion in verse 17. I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Why is the suicide rate in the United States skyrocketing over the last few decades, especially among teenagers? You want want to get a little sick to your stomach thinking about the state of our world, go look at the suicide rate amongst teenagers. Why do people cheat on their spouses or become middle-aged alcoholics? Why do we have this thing called a midlife crisis? And why do we have an ever-increasingly medicated population despite our material abundance and overall safety. It seems to me that we do not know what to do with this modern life. We don't know what to do with the exceptions. When we worked hard, we did the right thing, and then this happened. I keep trying to save, and bills keep coming up. I mean, I just remember when we first got married and were so broke and how hard it was for us to save (laughs) $3,000. 
when we had $3,000 in the bank, I thought we were so rich. And in an afternoon, we got a phone call that our air conditioning is broken. It's not repairing. It's broken. And you might as well take care of the furnace because the furnace is 30 years old. And we'll give you a deal. It'll only be $4,500. Feel like we can't get ahead. Everything feels hard. Then I'll die. Then I'll be forgotten. And I hate life because everything feels so troubling, like chasing the wind. I'm convinced that one of the primary causes of all of these symptoms I've talked about is our aversion towards death. We don't talk about it. Few of us plan for it. As a nation, we spend billions to delay it, billions to hold off the appearance of aging. We put makeup on dead bodies. We ship dead bodies to other places and do everything that we can to insulate ourselves from the reality of death. We avoid it at all costs. And the vast majority of us live in complete denial that it's coming for us. One of the most powerful lessons the book of Ecclesiastes has for us, and I'm convinced this has the power to transform every day of your life if you will receive it. One of the most powerful lessons of Ecclesiastes is that a coffin is a better teacher than a cradle. You learn more at a funeral than you do in a birthing room. If we do not receive this lesson, nothing else Ecclesiastes has to say will matter. The preacher is screaming at us that nothing has more power to make us wise than a coffin. More specifically, your coffin. Nothing has power to ground us in our present moment than our own deaths. Nothing, nothing has power to help us find the deep significance of life than regularly facing our own deaths. So I want to look at this lesson in three ways. These are, it's really one core lesson. Your coffin is a better teacher than a cradle. Maybe three ways it can teach you how to be wise, to receive life as a gift and not as something to strive and gain. Three ways your coffin can give you incredible power. The first lesson is that death is inevitable. When is the last time you thought about that outside of a panic moment, outside of a crisis, outside of... Um, I was going to pick up dinner last night and saw a horrific accident on 65, and you have that moment. It could have been me. Outside of those moments, the close call that, you know, you got the spot on the exam, and then the doctor called and said it was benign. When was the last time you calmly, soberly reflected on the reality of your death? And I mean, and I don't, I don't want to be morbid with you. I'm saying to go far with this. I mean, to sit in a quiet place and try to picture your own body in your own coffin. To try to see the people who will be in the room. To imagine the plot of ground where you will be laid to rest. Can you see that in your mind? Are you willing to believe that day is inevitable? Do you know what happens if you regularly hold that day in your mind? If you regularly focus on your death, you will find unbelievable purpose in your present life. We know in Ecclesiastes, the preacher is doing something beyond what is said. The preacher is what Hebrew calls the author. They call him the preacher or or the teacher. He's doing something beyond what is written in the text. Why would he write a book about 
wisdom if life really didn't matter at all? If it didn't matter if you were foolish or wise, why would he write a book to help you become wise? He's doing something here. He's, he's trying to show us something. If life is truly meaningless and he hates being alive, why write a book helping people learn to live? Why write a book to help his children have a good life? Only, listen, only when you see and believe that you are going to die will you see and know what really matters in life. If you, if you focus on your death, you will care far more about far fewer things. Famous Louisvillian, Catholic mystic Thomas Merton once wrote, I'm very slow to learn what is useless in my life. One, is anybody, I know we're kind of sober, but amen, Tommy, I'm very slow to learn what is useless in my life. How much of your day is filled with things that just don't matter? How often do you allow yourself to get emotionally spun up or angry or defensive over things and situations that just don't matter, but they feel like they matter. I'm so slow to learn what is useless in my life. Our lives are filled with concerns about things that ultimately don't matter. How do we learn what is useless in our life? Regularly, consciously focus on the reality of your death. I know it seems strange, but focusing on your death is one of the best cures for your anxiety. When you regularly face your inevitable death, your life will become focused on what truly matters. Your coffin is a better teacher than your cradle. Lesson two, death is imminent. Not only is it inevitable, it is imminent. You will die and you will die soon. It might be tomorrow and it might be 40 years from now. Find someone in their 70s and 80s and ask them how long their life has felt. Ask a parent sending a child to college how long those 18 years felt. It all went in a blink. Those kinds of phrases we hear all the time. It went so fast. I woke up and I was 80. I woke up and my kid was in college. By reflecting on how soon you will die, your life will be ripped from the future and grounded in the present. Does anyone here know when tomorrow is? Somebody say it. What? When is tomorrow? Not what is tomorrow. When is tomorrow? Tomorrow, right? So when do we get to tomorrow? Tomorrow. Now, I'm going to be confusing now, but when you get to tomorrow, tomorrow turns into today. So tomorrow then becomes tomorrow. So to. Do you see how tomorrow is always tomorrow? Today is always today. Tomorrow is always tomorrow. And so many of us live our lives for tomorrow. What will happen tomorrow when I get that job, when I get that situation, when the kid, well, when the kids get out of the house or when, when I get that stimulus check again or when this guy had to, when this, tomorrow. But have you noticed that tomorrow is always tomorrow? You can never love tomorrow. If you... If your life is focused on tomorrow, you will never live today. Let me get real practical. I don't want to make anybody feel bad. Um, how many of you watched the sunrise this morning? Just raise your hand. We have two, three sunrise, three sunrises in a room. I don't know, 70, I don't know how many people, 70 people. I don't know how many people. Three of you watched the sunrise this morning. Not many of us. It's a very minority number of folks. Um, well, why? Well, we've got things to do. 
Um, we had a late night last night, and we could use a little bit more sleep. And I also know that I'll be able to watch the sunrise tomorrow. Tomorrow's sunrise is always tomorrow's sunrise. It's never today's sunrise, but there'll be one tomorrow. So listen, would you have slept in and missed the sunrise this morning if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? If you knew you were going to die today? Would you have, would you have slept through your last sunrise on the last day of your life? I'm guessing most of us would say no. We would wake up and soak in the daily splendor of God's majestic creativity. You would bask in the, in the morning glory of the day's first light breaking the horizon, and it would feel like such a miracle to you. If you thought this was the last one, when you see how the, the dark Indiana sky turns into purple and then light orange, and then you see it's like the world itself is waking up and the light shines over the, the plains and the fields. It would feel like such a gift to you, the wonder of it, and you would soak there and feel alive. You would watch that sunrise with tears strolling down your face and you would say, this is such a gift. How would you hold your children if today was the day? What words would you speak to them? How much less would you argue with your spouse about? Knowing that we will die and die soon radically reorients our perspectives to today and to right now. Do you know where love is to be found, where meaning is to be found, where significance is to be found, where the presence of God is to be found? Only today. Your life is only lived today. The preacher of Ecclesiastes, with all of his strong words and this vivid imagery, is trying with everything in him to shout, be here, now, today, live today, right now. Seeing your coffin will make you grateful for the simplest of things. The miracle of coffee and toast, the, the, the smell of freshly cut grass, if you thought you might die today, you would be stunned to watch a bird flying. The wonder and majesty of it. You would see the incredible creativity of our creator God and all of the different flowers. Just walk down Eakin Avenue. The number of small things that we rush past in our busy tomorrow-oriented lives would stop us in our tracks and stun us with how abundant this life is. Do you see, reflecting on your death makes every present moment holy. Reflecting on your death fills your world with a divine sacredness that makes every person, every moment, every experience so precious. If you get nothing else from Ecclesiastes, get that. You'll die soon, so live today. The posture here is crucial. It's one that is uniquely available to the Christian. It, it's not like the last day of vacation. I'm always depressed on the last day of vacation because uh, it's over. It's like the last spoonful of ice cream and then I get sad. I want to hold all of it. The reality of our inevitable impending death does not move us to that kind of fearful grasping. You'll never get to move out of the house. I'll never let go. 
anxiously clutching every moment to our chest. The posture available to us in Christ is one where we receive every moment as a holy gift that we can hold loosely. Because in Christ, we know that, and I'm going I'm to give you an exception to the rule I said there was no exception for, because that's how life goes. Because in Christ, you know that death is now for us, the exception. In John chapter 11, Jesus hears that one of his friends, a man named Lazarus, had died. By the time he gets to see his friend, he'd been dead for four days. Lazarus's sisters blame Jesus. The crowds are confused and upset with Jesus. They all blame Lazarus's death on Jesus. They grew bitter and they hated life and they said everything is meaningless. You can kind of feel the heart of Ecclesiastes coming out of here. If you had just hurried up, Jesus. Do you, anybody remember how Jesus responds? Shortest verse in the Bible. Can anybody quote it? Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. That's what the crowds see. They see God crying. He looks sad. He's grieving. The text shows us more of what's going on in his heart, though, the, the emotion behind the tears. Verse 38 says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Angry tears. Are not angry tears often the most painful ones? Think of when you see angry tears. In my time as a pastor, almost exclusively angry tears have been at unexpected funerals. Tears of confusion and injustice. That is what behind angry tears, they died so soon. You find angry tears at the funeral of a child. Jesus is angry because death was not supposed to be a part of the story. Death is inevitable now, but death is only an exception now in Christ. This was not part of the story, and Jesus is angry about what his people must face. He's grieved and angry. He's also angry that the crowds did not believe they would see the glory of God. He was angry that they believed this is how Lazarus' story would end. So look at what Jesus did. Verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! The text says he didn't have to shout. But he shouts crystal clear language. And what happens? Lazarus comes out. Tears of mourning give way to shouts of resurrection in Christ. Your life is so precious and so short, and you must see the movement of the gospel in this. I will die. Lord, show me what really matters. I will die soon. Lord, help me live for today. I will die soon, and then in Christ be raised. So, Lord, let me live for Christ Jesus weeps over our situation, and then he shouts resurrection over our deaths. And one day we will come out of the grave. We can enjoy the enoughness of this moment because we know our deaths are temporary. And maybe you're here this morning wondering, well, how do I get in on the resurrection game? All you have to do to get in on the resurrection game is bring to the table what Lazarus brought to the table. What did, what did Lazarus bring? A corpse. If you are capable of being a corpse, you are capable of becoming a Christian. 
Our resurrection is dependent on one thing, the shout of Christ that says, come out. This is the gospel. We rebelled and it grieved the heart of God. We began to die and it grieved the heart of God. So God came near to teach us the brevity and goodness of life. He came near to suffer alongside of us, to bear a cross, to feel the coldness of a tomb. And then he walked out of the grave to remove from us the fear of death forever. Because if Jesus walked out of the grave, we will too. Our resurrection depends on the same thing Lazarus's did, the loud voice of Jesus shouting, come out. This life is a precious gift from God, and by his grace, we can focus on our deaths, live in the present moment, because we know by that same grace, he will shout our names and we will rise. So we gather every week to ground ourselves in this present moment, this holy, sacred moment, knowing we will die, knowing we will die soon, but knowing we will be raised. So we call our minds to the night he was betrayed, when Jesus took a loaf of bread and he thanked God for it and he broke it. He said to his friends, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.